Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. So for those of you that weren't listening, we were talking about terrible things. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, we were just kind of shooting the breeze about what's been going on in the film world recently, and I'm actually really excited. You were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, was... I saw a preview of it before I saw um, 300 Rise of an Empire, and uh, Chris Pratt looks awesome, and the special effects look great. The comedic timing is all spot on. I mean, this is going to be one hell of a blockbuster. Yeah. I agree. And I've just seen tiny little bits of what Bradley Cooper sounds like as Rocket Raccoon. But oh, he, yeah. This, this idea that there's this little rodent-looking creature that's full of aggression and just goes <laughs> Dude, apeshit. that's so yeah. exciting. <laughs> it sounds I'm amazing. I'm so excited about that. Like, I, yeah. And who would have thought that they would have been able to translate that to film? I know, right? Yeah. And up to the point of having this much buzz about it that it would be potentially yeah. really successful. Well, Obviously, we don't know until we've seen it. Yeah. But yeah. What I like about it is that they are definitely... Just from looking at the trailers, they are definitely sculpting it to be the underdog yeah. story. And the underdog superhero team, as done by Marvel, is yeah. amazing. Hi. It's like Mystery Men, yeah. but, but a million times better. Yeah. <laughs> really? It doesn't matter! He's still dead! <laughs> I love Mystery Men. The spleen was amazing in it. Guardians of the Galaxy, I knew it was coming, and I and I knew that, that the post credit sequence from Thor 2 went into it, but I saw it with a bunch of my friends who aren't as nerdy about comic book shit as we are, and when they saw the post-credits of Thor, they were like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and why is it happening? And then I made a point of showing them this trailer. I'm like, this is what this was setting up, and now yeah. they're all stoked. Yeah, totally. of course they are. How could you not be? Exactly. But in other comic book movie news, this dropped like a few days ago, um, Man of Steel 2... And Captain America 2, Winter Soldier, or 3, whatever, are opening up on the same weekend. Get out. Yep. Yes. First time ever a DC and a Marvel movie are going to be going <gasps> head to head. showdown. Oh, I got to say, though, <laughs> Superman versus Batman is going to take it. Honestly, you're talking yeah. about Superman and Batman being in a movie for the first time together versus the third Captain America Plus. installment. Not even that, but you're also remembering that Wonder Woman's going to make a small cameo yeah. in the movie, too. So this yeah. is like, this is the unabashed, we are setting up Justice League. But you still have point. to understand that there are a lot of people who are still not entirely pleased with the first Man of Steel. True. However, yeah. I will say that David S. Goyer did uh, answer those questions in an interview six or eight months ago. And he did say, understand that people have issues with Man of Steel. Everything that happens in Man of Steel, just like it did in Batman Begins sets up what's going to happen in the sequel. So it's only going to get yeah, better. people have problems with, yeah. with Batman Begins. They thought it was slow, and they don't need to see the origin story, blah, blah, blah. So everyone, the biggest things people have a problem with are that the, person, the character development was too fast, and that Superman, in trying to save the planet, destroys Metop- Metropolis. 
that is the crux of what's going to happen in the, in the second one. And that's okay. what's going to play into the relationship between Superman and Batman. Okay. Right. So it's, it's definitely, I'm very optimistic yeah. for the sequel. And I also, yeah. I've also, we all know at this point, for those listening to the show, that I didn't dislike Man of Steel. I had some issues with it, but I didn't dislike it either. I okay. had no issues. I really enjoyed it. So, Although, yeah. if you look at the first installment of many movies, they've been good enough to garner some sort of hype so that the next one will be good, but weren't that awesome. I mean, look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The weakest one is obviously Fellowship of the Ring. I, I actually don't kind of agree with that. I don't agree. Think, okay, let's take out the last 45 minutes of Return of the King where it ends like six times. Minus <laughs> that, the first one is the slowest one that's building. Like It's the one that has to establish so many things so that you're invested in the material. But it got you invested. That's the point. Yeah, it was meant to be this the first act. And I, it, I wasn't invested in Lord of the Rings. I I well, apologize you, to Ron if he's listening, but I'm not a fan of any of the Lord of the Rings movies or right, The Hobbit. Right. See, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was a fan of the first Hobbit. Yeah. Not as big a fan as the second one. But that being said, Fellowship is successful for me because it did get me hooked and invested. Although, and then Man of Steel did not get me invested whatsoever. Have okay. you seen it again, or did you only see it that one time? No, I've seen it again. Well, you have. You've yeah. watched it twice. Yeah. No, and you still nothing. I just don't care. Yeah, I got bored no. by Man of Steel. So yeah. I will say that what's interesting, and just just putting aside all reactions to how we felt about Man of Steel, looking at it just from a statistical uh, point of view. You're talking about a sequel up against a threequel. Uh-huh. Yep. Threequels, statistically, and this is across the board, do not do as well as their their two predecessors. It's extremely rare that it ever breaks that mold. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What about Rocky 3, The Godfather 3, Superman Captain America 3 <laughs> against Man of Steel 2? I mean, Return of the King did win an Oscar. Winter Soldier won, then there's a That's coming out next month. Winter Soldier's coming out next month. This is Captain America oh, three. Oh, I thought for some reason. That's why we were. That's why we were that's correcting right. it earlier. So Winter yeah. Soldier is the second one, and then the third yeah, one is coming it, out it, later it, when um, clear, clear. Batman versus. I was drunk. Superman. I was drunk <laughs> yep, ten minutes fine. ago. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be drunk. <laughs> she, took a, she took a quick shot of Stoli, and now it's worn off. <sighs> so uh, okay. Anyway, case in point, with the exception, I think of maybe the Harry Potter movies, and I think maybe Return of the King. Actually, yeah. Uh, most third installments of movie series is don't do as well. What was so, the third Harry Potter? Was that Prisoner, Prisoner of, Azkaban? of Azkaban? Prisoner of Azkaban. That's yeah. the first one that I saw in theaters and was like, oh, okay, I might be on board with this. And then I yeah. saw Order of the Phoenix and Ben went like, oh, yeah. okay, now I'm to Harry Potter. Prisoner of Azkaban is notoriously referred to as the darkest one. and the one That's that why really... I liked it so much, I yeah. think. I actually really enjoyed that one and mm-hmm. all of them other than, I think I, I enjoyed parts of Goblet of Fire yeah. and the Half-Blood Prince and I never even saw the Deathly Hollows, but it's just not my thing. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm not on board with the Harry Potter stuff either. Yeah. I would also say that probably the other exception to that would be Dark Knight Rises. Because Dark Knight Rises mm. did... It didn't do as good as Dark Knight, but it did way better than the Batman Begins did. Yeah. So. Fair enough. So I think for that reason alone... Where's Man- your trigger? <laughs> I think for that you reason... You wouldn't give it to an ordinary citizen. <laughs> Are you Sorry. done? Are you done? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I think for that reason alone, the Man of Steel sequel will take the box office that weekend. And this is, of course... a prediction that's way way too premature to no to it's say not Brian. it's obvious but. it's no. obvious we're looking for man of steel 2 slash batman versus superman to be the dark knight to batman begins the hype for it and how much people are talking about it on the internet 
and people wanting to, whether they want to see Ben Affleck succeed as Batman or whether they really want to see him suck, they want to talk about it, so they're going to go see it. Captain America 3 is going to be a lot like Iron Man 3. Yeah. Some people are going to like it. You know, Some people aren't going to like it. That's and it's probably going to do fairly well. That being said, that opening weekend, just because I happen to be more on the side of Marvel, I'm probably going to go see Captain America. I think that's honestly the people who are fans of both brands are going to see both movies. Yeah. Like, I don't, I have zero problem, zero problem walking out of Batman, Superman, and a little bit of Wonder Woman, and then going straight into Captain America 3. But which, oh, problem, guys, which one do you see? I'm going to be in California when this fucking movie comes out. You know me, yay! right? You know which one I'm We're going to be able to see this together. That's so yeah. cute. Oh, yay, Sean, we get to go all the We should all I dress know. up. We're going to do a nerds on the street, and I'm going to ask horribly offensive questions of the oldest and or youngest members of the audience. That's right. <laughs> by, by 2016, you should be back in California at this point. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to go up to like an old lady in the front row of Man of Steel 2 and be like, what do you think Henry Cavill's dick looks like? And just hold my phone and put my phone like up against her face, just smash it into her face and be like, talk, 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 talk. Just to be an asshole. (laughs) Oh my God, you guys. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I am sorry. I'm I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I'm Roxana Berry. I would get excited, Roxy, but it's been like two whole episodes that you've been a host now, and I'm just over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Sean. I like, don't care anymore. Do you remember um, the first time I ever got mentioned on Nerds on Film? And you actually told me to go fuck myself. Yes, I do. (laughs) I do remember that. It was, what was the feedback you gave? So I wrote on your Facebook something about how uh, Sarah is as beautiful as she sounds. And Sarah said that um, that's not fair because uh, Roxy knows, you're like, I know you and one of your dear friends. And you're like, oh, well, fuck you, Roxy. (laughs) Oh, that's right. No, yeah. You were like, oh, I know Roxy. She's a really good friend of mine. I was like. Well, fuck that. I want new people that don't know about Nerdonomy next. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Thanks. that. It was quite funny. But uh, yeah. once again, I am sorry. <laughs> All right. So, so Nerds on History has had a uh, fun component we've added in several episodes uh, now, which is the Wheel of History. And the Wheel has been a very interesting fellow. I, I, like, I want to say he's a fellow because he's... Sentient being... Why he is it, started. Why is it a he? Um, it's a he know. because he's overtly aggressive. And well, Sarah, you can cut the, fe- the feminist douchey. bullshit right now. I'm just saying <laughs> it's a he. He has hit on Roxy. Oh no 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 no! He got mean with me. All right, he got sassy because he was jealous, and he missed Eric or it missed Eric. I don't know what happened, but basically we got a little we got we got into a little tiff. Do you you and, guys uh, remember when the wheel disappeared on your last episode of Nerds on History, right? Yeah, it did. Just and like vanished into thin air? Yeah, it took well, the fuck off. Because... enough, same night, I'm laying in my bed in Colorado. I wake up and I'm getting a blowjob and I'm like, this is amazing. My girlfriend, And then I look over and my girlfriend's sound asleep. And then I pull the covers down and it's the fucking wheel. Oh my God. I was mortified. The wheel called me an asshole, okay? It's unforgivable. It needs an attitude adjustment, and I don't think we're the, we're the ones to give it. So, yeah. so while I, we can't say with 100% certainty that it is a male or female, it, the evidence has pointed pretty strongly toward male at this sure. point in time. It's a being. It is a machine, actually, <laughs> which is kind of weird because it's a computer, but yet it still needs a wheel to figure out what it's going to do. But it also, we found out recently, is upgradable, too. Oh. It can, the wheel can be swapped out, right? 
It doesn't have to just be history topics. It can so this spin. this is going to be a wheel episode, meaning the wheel is there. The wheel is here. Yes. Tell tell the wheel to call me. <laughs> tell the wheel to call me. Hang on. The wheels. The wheel is printing out something from its. Tell uh, the wheel has soft lips. Computer. <laughs> uh, Sean, I'm just gonna put it up to the screen. You can you can read it. All right. So apparently the wheel. It was a one time thing. <laughs> he was drunk. He's not gay, he says, but he's willing to experiment in the future under the influence of any particular substance that gets me in the mood. Oh. All right. (laughs) Only for you, Sean. I have a pretty dick. That's what I've been told. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, so what are we doing with the wheel today? I think we've decided that tonight the wheel is going to be the wheel of underrated movies. The Wheel of Underrated Movies. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I am so excited to do this because the movies we're going to talk about tonight are so fucking bad but amazing. Not necessarily bad but amazing. (laughs) These are good movies that just for some reason missed critical or even popular acclaim. Sure. But th- basically, what I think we're gonna do is let the wheel do the work. Okay. We find the underrated movie that it gives us, and then we just have to defend it. Let's fucking do it. All right. So because this whole this whole fucking episode was my idea, <laughs> I'm gonna take the first spin. You go, girl. Wheel. Fucking spin, bitch. <laughs> nice. Hang on a is second. Is it spinning? I can hear it spinning. It's also printing out. I am nobody's bitch. Oh. It's printing that out and spinning at the same time. Multitasking. Yeah. That's yeah. That's new. <laughs> all right. My all right. I'll bitch go ahead on and take it's this good. one. The wheel does evolve, by the way. It does show more and more signs of higher functions. Uh, so. Artificial. I can tell because what the wheel did with its tongue and throat muscles the other day was <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> All right, artificial intelligence and uh, Sean's filthy, filthy dreams. Okay, um, and the first movie is, and I'm so happy for this one, Heart and Souls. Oh, oh shit! Oh snap! Oh. I love that movie. Who doesn't love that I movie? Love people um, that have never me seen because it. I've never seen it. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, Roxy. So that was a really up. quick uh, hosting tear that you had. You'll be leaving now. <laughs> Can we get uh, Kevin or Robert back? <laughs> I personally. L- I'm sorry. I'm, Hang on. sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. I think I've actually have seen this one. Is this the one with Robert Downey Jr.? Yes. Yeah. Elizabeth Shue. Oh, wait. No, I've seen it. Never mind. Okay. I just got confused. Actually, I really enjoyed Heart and Souls, particularly for Charles Gruden. The other cast didn't really care for. whatever Charles Grodin was great Charles Grodin also known for being in such awesome movies like Beethoven and Clifford oh my god that's amazing (laughs) both dog oriented films no Clifford not Clifford the Big Red Dog but Clifford with Martin Short (laughs) where Martin Short played a kid yeah Oh shit! It was kind really? of weird, yeah. yeah totally and... believable, by the way. Wow. Right. <laughs> I would have preferred if he played a big red dog, yeah. honestly. So about the movie, 1993, Robert Downey Jr., Charles Grodin, Alfre Wood- Woodard, yeah, who was in Scrooge, that was we talked She's about. She's amazing. Before. Yeah. Uh, Kira Sedgwick and Tom Sizemore. Hey. So you already oh, and Elizabeth Shue, of course, who plays um, Robert Downey Jr.'s love interest. Of course she does. <laughs> and it's directed by Ron Underwood, who at the time was just coming off. Tremors and City Slickers. Nice. Any yes. relation to Congressman Frank Underwood? 
No, because slash my hero. Yeah, Frank Underwood (laughs) is fictional, and you're a monster. What? (laughs) Okay, first of all, I thought movies and TV were real. Second of all, (laughs) point taken. Right. Um. So this movie, if you haven't seen it, um, it opens up in 1959, and there's a car crash involving a bus, and everybody on the bus dies. And in the car, it was a, a rambler that it hit. A baby was born. That baby eventually grows up to be Robert Downey Jr. But the four people who died in this crash, their souls get attached to this baby. So they have to, like, they're hanging around this baby all the time. They get stuck. And they're perfectly visible to the kid. <laughs> what? I know. It's like, just you're like, they're these four ghosts and they hang around a baby. <laughs> you know? It's not creepy, I promise. It's I smell really, Oscars. It's a really weird premise, but... Um, <laughs> And then, like, it's great. They One of the ghosts, like, gets the kid to go to, like, the racetrack and, like, convince the people to let him place a better or else his father is going to beat him. Oh, my or, God. Like, <laughs> I know, but it's, like, really funny. That's, like, yeah. some shit I would do. It's, it's, it is really interesting because, so, there's actually five people who die because the, the bus, bus driver, driver. But the, the bus driver, he moves on right away for some reason. Because he, he. I know why. The reason why these people, the four people, get stuck is I was going to explain oh, it. So, okay. wah, wah. mommy and daddy are fighting again. <laughs> just so excited about it. So the reason why the bus driver moves on is because he didn't have any unfinished business. It's right. the old trope of ghosts. They have some sort of thing, something that they that's keeping them. It's not just uh, the kid, right? Yes, so, the yeah. Casper defense. Yes, yes. yes the Casper defense. <laughs> but the bus driver does come back, though, because he, he serves as a interesting well, device. He's the reason why these people end up finding out 30 years later that they were supposed to be completing their unfinished business. They had no idea up to huh. this point because the angel never made its way down to explain it to them. So They were busy um, with, with angel meetings and right, such. Right, right. But at this point, so because they were getting this kid in so much trouble, they actually um, made themselves invisible to him. So he just thought, like, he lost his four invisible friends or whatever that nobody else could see. And he was really, it's a really heartbreaking scene. Aww. And then um, he grows up 30 years later. He's Robert Downey Jr. and he's an asshole. And, <laughs> um, of course, because Robert Downey Jr. plays really good assholes. And um, <laughs> Oh, he does. Yeah. And then the bus driver comes and says, okay, it's time for all you guys to go. And um, they're like, oh, why are we going now? And he's like, well, I don't know. They're like, we don't want to leave. And. He's like, well, I didn't have the opportunities that you have. What opportunities? To finish your unfinished business. What? And then they find out they can actually take over Robert Downey Jr.'s body. Like, they didn't know that they could do that before. Yeah. And so they come back, uh, make themselves appear to him again, and then it's just zany things happen (laughs) to, to get them back. And it's really good physical comedy by Robert Downey Jr., really good performances by all the actors, a good fantasy comedy, a good family film. I've been watching this movie since I was a kid. And it will get Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, Walk Like a Man, stuck in your head for like six yeah. months after yeah. the fact. Walk because like they a sing man. Now, in that movie, did Robert Downey Jr., I forget, did he mention that like he had to go through therapy and his parents thought he was crazy when he, he was did. younger? Yeah. So he then did. reappearing is just this huge pain in his ass. Yeah, it was yeah. not just yeah. a huge pain in, in the ass, but he like almost has like, he crashes his car and like has a little minor freak out and actually yep. takes himself to the psych ward. And then there's, right. a, there's another chick there who's also able to see them. Huh. Oh, that's right. Kind of proving like, whoa, wait, this is legit. And Marry this woman now is what someone should have told him in the movie. Right, right. Yeah. And you know, this movie has also got some other great performances. Did we mention David Paymer? No, but he is plays the, the bus uh, driver. The bus driver. Yes, yeah. the brother of Billy Crystal. Yeah. Nice. Also, 
Awesome Cameo by B.B. King. Oh, yeah, and you go to the B.B. King That's show, right? right? Yeah. It's a, just a really, really good, like I said, family movie. Aww. And it's it's cute, it's innocent, and I'm pretty sure that most people can enjoy it um, if you're just into, like, kind of the fantasy comedy. Can I ask if it was before, during, or after Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, drug problems, legal issues, and... No. I think it was in the middle. Career meltdown. it's in the middle. Really? It's in the middle. Do you think he did the movie High? I have no idea, but it's very funny because there is one line when he's talking to a cop, and he yeah. very it's a single like shot of him very legitimately saying to the cop's face, I am not drunk, nor am I on drugs. Wow. And I was just like, I want to just take that snapshot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, knowing what I know now. <laughs> yeah, and this, this is actually around the point in time where his drug problems were becoming more and more apparent apparent ouch yeah. ouch yeah i mean he it didn't really peak for him until the late 90s where he basically mm-hmm. didn't work for about 5 or 6 years yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you can tell he doesn't look great uh-huh like he does now obviously he's aged very well you can kind of tell it's it's he's still yeah he's still i mean he doesn't look strung out but no 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 but uh-huh. and like i said like but that's never affected i never felt like that's affected robert downey jr's performances no, yeah. not at especially all. in this case like i said he did great physical comedy okay yeah this, like having having people take over his body like yeah kira sedgwick takes over and he like starts hitting on his boss and so he's kind of like trying to be all like sexy or whatever what? tom sizemore takes over and he's kind of like this like Messed out douchebag? (laughs) Like this skeezy machismo guy who's like hitting on all the chicks. Or like when Alfred Woodard takes over. Oh, that was great. And then he like goes on. I'm a mother. (laughs) Uh, Wait. uh, I'm a doctor. I mean, I'm a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of goes through like this whole like sassy woman thing. And it's it's really, really good. It is really great. And plus there's a great like makeup scene at the end with Robert Downey Jr. and Elizabeth Shue. Mm Mm-hmm. Really, really, like, genuine, heartfelt scene. Yeah. I don't think Robert Downey Jr. can really do wrong. Like, I did, I've never seen him be bad in a movie. I think Neither he can do pretty much anything. Yeah. I mean, Chaplin is his crowning glory, really, in his career sure. during the 90s. Mm. Yeah. Besides, you know, obviously Iron Man, I think. I would say Iron Man and Tropic Thunder are tied for the in performances of his that really... Really impressed. No, me. but in the recent decade, sure, that's that's relevant. But we're talking about in the nineties. All right. So last point on Heart and Souls, then I'll pass it over. I will say the only I think the only flaws for this movie, and the reason why I think it, it kind of missed the critical acclaim, is because it does feel a little sitcommy. Mm. Mm. So aside from that, though, I, that's that doesn't take away from the yeah. entertainment value of it. You know what, so. though? Now that you've said that, because it would work so well in a sitcom format, why isn't this a sitcom it now? It was originally a short it, film. Really? It was originally written as a short film, and then they expanded it. Yeah. I will say, though, that, what there's yes, the writing has those elements to it, but amazing production design. Yeah. Amazing editing. Yeah. Like, overall, it's a, it's a very, it's an incredibly solid movie. Well, yeah, and it's, I wouldn't say it's entirely timeless, but there's a lot of elements that, like, special effects-wise, that still hold up. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so who'd like to spin next? I'll uh, do it. All right. Are you going to right, wheel the webcam? <laughs> wheel. I'm telling you to spin, so fucking spin. Oh, man. It's not spinning. <laughs> Spin for daddy. What's it? I can hear it. What's it saying, Brian? He says, you fucking spin. <laughs> I was spinning the other night, Wheel. Whoa. All right. So, so Wheel. Baby, baby, Wheel. Could you please spin for me? Oh, oh damn. Oh, there now it goes. goes. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> <Right>. Poppy. <laughs> I know. I am thoroughly creeped out. Know. 
You are, aren't you? You just gotta know how to talk to the wheel. You gotta know how to yeah. talk. All right. Hold it up to the camera. All right. Bubba Hotep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, Bubba, is anybody, have any of you guys seen Bubba Hotep? Yes. I have not. You have. Oh. I regretfully okay. have not. Oh, my God. Brian, I saw it opening day in the theaters, which is crazy because apparently there were only like 82 or 86 copies of it, yeah, it was that like actually were in theaters. theaters. Oh my god. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so we were very lucky to see it at the Camera 7 cinemas where all the hipsters hang out. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, where else can you find all the indie art house films? Hey, stuff? Coffee Society is amazing. No, it's not. <laughs> Just no, it's not. Coffee Society has terrible coffee. All no I'm going to say, guys, all I'm going to say is that bad is not mainstream and good is. So I rest my case. Right, okay. So, Fuck you, so Alan. Enjoy your bad coffee. <laughs> Sean, for those who have never heard of Bubba Hotep, please enlighten us. All right, so the movie opens up, and you see Bruce Campbell, a very aged Bruce Campbell with large sideburns, <laughs> in a nursing home, and he's pretty much bedridden. He doesn't really get out of his bed, and you slowly start to find out that Bruce Campbell in the hospital bed is actually Elvis. Well, he thinks he's Elvis, right? No, well, no, actually, that's what I thought. He thinks he's Elvis, but it's actually based on a graphic novel about Elvis after he had switched it's lives called, with someone. It's called uh, uh, The King is Dead, Tales of Elvis Postmortem. Thank you. It's yes. a novella you, by Joe R. Lansdale. Yeah, so it, he is actually Elvis who has switched lives with somebody, an Elvis impersonator named Sebastian Half who looked exactly like him. I mean, in the movie, Bruce Campbell plays both parts. Wow. So when they go into his backstory and they show you his life before he was in the nursing home, he switched lives with this guy so that he could have a normal life because he was sick of the drugs, the money, the booze, and all that nonsense. So it turns out that there's a mummy <laughs> who is terrorizing this nursing home and killing these old people. And according to Ozzie Davis's character, who thinks that he's John F. Kennedy, yeah, and like when this- they ask... Why he thinks he's John F. Kennedy if he's black, he says, they dyed me this color. Oh, my God. It's so, (laughs) so fucking funny. It's so funny. And he was just, and Ozzie Davis at one point is like, he sucked his soul out through his asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this mummy is sucking people's souls out through their asshole. So, so So, for the record, Elvis is not deranged. Elvis is Elvis. JFK is is the one who's deranged. Yeah, thank you. Based on the derivative material... He is actually supposed to be Elvis. And I think Bruce Campbell does an awesome job of being yes. Elvis in this movie. Oh my God, and he does a great job. And one of the best parts of the movie is that his performance and some of the comedic parts of it is very reminiscent of, of his performances in Evil Dead and Army of Darkness, but as Elvis. Nice. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like, there's some funny parts. It is still kind of scary. They did a decent amount of uh, work on the makeup. The makeup for the mummy is actually really cool. And it's definitely low budget. I mean, honestly, there's going to be a lot of people that don't really like this movie. But it's very niche. But you said it. This is the movie that's for the people who like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, or just bad horror movies in general. Mm -hmm. Or like the low budget horror movies. So, yes, I totally agree with you, Sean. Who directed this? Uh, The director was actually Don Cassarelli. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right. And Don Cassarelli is best known for directing all four Phantasm movies <laughs> and cool. The Beastmaster. And, but most recently, he directed John Dies at the End that has Paul Giamatti in it. Oh, yeah. 
cool. So basically, he is known for directing B-horror movies as it is. Yes. Well, I don't know if the Beastmaster is really B-horror. That's more like 80s, we're really trying hard to do fantasy movies, but we don't have the technology yet. That's true. He's kind of like this Tarzan, Conan um, combination. Well, hmm. a combination of that and B-horror. If you've seen Phantasm, anybody remember Phantasm? It's with the, like, the guy with the silver ball. <laughs> That kills people. <laughs> yes, I do vaguely remember it, yes. And uh, funny story, the music in this movie it was done by Brian Tyler, who's actually a huge music guy in movies. He does a lot of scores. He did, most recently, uh, Iron Man 3. He did, uh, which, by I mean, say what you will about Iron Man 3, the music, especially like the theme near the end, is awesome. Nice. He also did uh, the score for the Assassin's Creed video games. Nice. I'm also noticing that um, Don Cossarelli, the director, also did Survival Quest with uh, Donald Roney and Catherine Oh, yeah, Taylor. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that one's uh, pretty sweet because apparently Dermot Mulroney got, like, stuck on a cliff at one point while during filming and Catherine Keener like saved his ass and they met and got married after that. So, like, yes. this director is responsible for that relationship. <laughs> Which I think is pretty sweet. That's awesome. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we had an audio problem. It turned out that Sarah was talking into the wrong microphone. We apologize for any problems you had listening to the previous part of the podcast, and we promise from now on it's going to be smooth sailing. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I like how I was just like, yeah, Sarah was talking in the wrong microphone, like as if I'm like, oh, there's one right in front of my face, but I'm going to talk to that one over there. <laughs> Screw you, Mike. <laughs> All right, so anything else you want to talk about with Baba Hotep? I just wanted to say, if you haven't seen it, it's not currently on Netflix, but you can rent it from Amazon Instant Video for like two ninety nine. It's a really funny movie. If you don't like comedy horror, I don't suggest it, but it's a really good comedy horror movie, and I don't think that it got as much acclaim as it should have. And it does have a cult following, but it's much smaller than I think the cult following will lead you on to believe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, of the Bruce Campbell movies, this one's definitely lesser known nice, and should yeah. be seen by Bruce Campbell fans. There's a good quote by Roger Ebert about it who gave it three out of four stars. And he says it has the damnedest ingratiating way of making us sit there and grin at its harebrained audacity, yep. laugh at its yes. outhouse humor and be somewhat moved, not deeply, but somewhat at the poignancy of these two old men and their situation. Yep. It's so because I wanted to mention this, that there is a theme of Elvis having this like horrible growth on his pecker oh. the whole yeah. time. He talks about it. <laughs> yeah. And there's actually a point where like the nurse is rubbing cream on it and it's pretty much like she's jerking him off. Oh my god. And he gets a boner and he's like, That's the first boner I've had in like twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> and it awesome. wasn't because of the nurse, it was because I actually had a good idea about this mummy situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awful. Who wants to take No, it's not. It's amazing, Brian. Fuck off. All right, let's move on. I'll take a spin. All right. (laughs) Go for it. All right, Wheel, please be nice to me this time around. I apologize for any past transgressions I may have committed against you. Aw, you're trying to make nice with the wheel. (laughs) I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) Poor Wheel. All right, here goes. Okay. All right. So I'm going to talk about this film called The Thing Called Love. Oh. And uh, 
Yeah, it's funny that I mentioned um, Survival Quest because one of the actors in Survival Quest that I mentioned, Dermot Mulroney, has a fun little role in uh, this one, The Thing Called Love. It's a 1993 romantic comedy directed by Peter Bogdanovich and starring Samantha Mathis and River Phoenix in his last full film. Oh, the so late, this great is the last River Phoenix. Com- yeah, this is the last completed film he made before mm. his untimely death. And um, he was actually in the middle of making another film, um, and that film has yet to be completed and shown to the public um, hmm. during which he had an overdose. And um, it's a fun, you know, like I said, comedy drama. And it centers on Samantha Mathis, a New York girl, and she goes to Nashville in order to um, pursue her dreams of being a country music star. And when she gets to Nashville, she meets a whole slew of characters. Um, Most notably, we have uh, uh, Sandra Bullock in one of her early roles as the perky Linda Lou Linden. This really kind of annoying, perky country music kind of Barbie doll. And uh, like I mentioned, Dolmet Maroney, who plays Kyle Davidson. He's a really nice guy, but totally like New England type. Okay. And then... Chowda. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then she meets River Phoenix. His character's name is James Wright. And he's like by far the most talented and like gorgeous and just all around dreamboat. And so um, there's this whole like love triangle that happens between River, uh, Samantha, and uh, Dolmet, and like their characters go at each other. But Samantha Mathis and River Phoenix, of course, end up together, and like their love relation, the whole relationship is really sweet, and it's like done really well because like they're obviously attracted to each other. But River Phoenix treats her like crap. He's what? so moody. He does, yeah. Yeah. I actually remembered while you were describing this, and I actually <laughs> looked it up on IMDb. I saw this movie. On Showtime or oh, HBO, yeah? like right after, it, right when it was getting on those channels. Nice. When I was younger. And nice. of course, I didn't understand some of the themes, but I do remember actually liking this movie. I know, right? How can you not? Because, like, River Phoenix is so charismatic and gorgeous. <laughs> so the girls love him. And Samantha Math is really just like, she does really well as the ingenue, as the main character. She, like, carries the film. I mean, I didn't so much believe her whole tough New York girl act. I think that's kind of like the weakest part of the film. The mm-hmm. fact that she's trying so hard to show herself to be this New York girl. You know, right. this rough around the edges, hard to adjust, fish out of water kind of deal. Okay. When she could have easily just passed as a California girl coming to Nashville. Like, why did she have to be from New York? Like, okay, I don't know. So um, I think it's, it's unfortunately... I consider it an underrated film because it didn't do well in the box office. It's been touted as the most unsuccessful film of 1993. Oh, God. Get this? Really? It only earned $1 million out of the $14 million budget. Oh, okay. I'm sure. Wow, $14 million? That Jesus. is, 14 that million. is it was flopped as flop by, can get. Yeah, it was distributed by Paramount, so it obviously you know was a major motion picture. But here's the thing. It was only distributed to a few theaters. Paramount only released this movie to certain regions in the United States, and it didn't oh. do well, so they didn't give it a wider national release. That's mm. your so. problem right there. Mm-hmm. You, Where did they release it? Did they release it in the South and in New York, yeah. at least, so that the material... I think it released it to regions that would respond the strongest. In this case, yes, South. Because they have a lot of actual country stars in the film. They make a lot of cameos. Um, Most notably, Trisha Yearwood has a really fun cameo. Um, And this is the early 90s, right? So, like, like that is actually a really good peak time for country. Totally. 
Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah, and I remember the those musical sequences being some of the best parts of the movie. I mean, it really yeah. carried a lot of the movie. All of the actors did their own songs. Sandra Bullock wrote a song. River Phoenix wrote his own song. Wow. I mean, everyone's performances are pretty strong in this, you know? And just the fact that it's River Phoenix's last film. It's, well, yeah, that's a reason enough to go see exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, people didn't know that at the time, obviously. Right, so right. I can see why audiences, you know might not have been that interested because yeah some parts of it are a little bit kitschy and kind of corny peter bogdanovich i don't really know too much about him as a director i know that he did a what the last picture show okay um oh. which was like his biggest uh yeah most notable that's, film. that's part of uh we talked about in the last episode that's part mm-hmm. of that era in the 70s yes he's the new where hollywood movies were breaking the mold the new hollywood yeah. yeah that movie's great it's got sybil shepherd and jeff bridges sure if you ever wanted to know what sybil shepherd looked like naked watch that movie <laughs> Watch the 1971 one. Yeah. Uh, So I guess what Peter Bogdanovich was trying to do is just kind of make an homage to country music. Sure. Mm. Why not? Genuine curiosity. I mean, this guy's what, a New York Jew? Like, (laughs) I don't really know how much he knows about country music. But I mean, this movie definitely encompassed that whole kind of uh, scene of struggling musicians in Nashville. And Nashville is, you know, obviously the biggest town there is when it comes to um, country music. So I I think overall, it was a really, really lovely film and people should definitely check it out. But yeah, it just kind of broke my heart that it wasn't as successful as it could have been because of the notoriety it gained with River Phoenix's death. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, he also directed Paper Moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Paper That's Moon. a big one. Oh, shit. He directed Mask <laughs> with Eric Stoltz and Cher. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Yeah, the story of Rocky Dennis. Wow. Yeah, no. Peter Bogdanovich is a very successful director. Unfortunately, I think uh, The Thing Called Love is probably his, one of his weakest films. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's too bad. But, all right. That's me. Who's next? Cool. Brian. Hey, by the way, I just wanted to say that River Phoenix is not done acting because as soon as we have full Audrey Hepburn Dove commercial CGI of River Phoenix, <sighs> they could do a whole like they could do a whole sequel to Stand by Me. They can wait till all those fuckers are dead and just be like, <laughs> "We're gonna make a sequel to Stand by Me that's 100% CGI," and uh, the cast of The Simpsons will be doing all the voices. Wow. Oh my god! And it'll be perfect. Oh, there you go. No. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I really hope not, but okay. Stan Castellaneta doing River Phoenix. Is nobody dying for a sequel to Casablanca actually with Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey <laughs> no. Bogart in it, CGI, which would be much easier to do in black and white. <laughs> Fair enough. Except make it like an action epic with a lot of explosions and, you know... An appearance by Shia LaBeouf would be good. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was seeing how far you were going to let me go. (laughs) All right, Wheel. We've had some ups. We've had some downs. Mostly downs. Mostly downs. (laughs) I will agree with that. But please spin. Spin It's not moving. Seriously? You're going to do this now? Brian, we were were very assertive with the wheel. Say, bitch spin. (laughs) Bitch, comma, spin, exclamation point. I will dismantle you. Whoa. If you do not spin. Whoa. Threatening not now. violence. Maybe not even tomorrow. But when it's going to happen, I'm going to do it slowly. Trial no. by combat. <laughs> I'm glad I gave that to you. Thank you, Sarah. I'll never let it go. Trial by combat. All right, now it's starting to spin. There we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least it complied. Yeah. At least it complied. We'll have to maybe, maybe it's Thank you for your compliance, now. Wheel. <laughs> the Shadow. The shadow. The shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? 
The shadow. The shadow knows. knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just got. I just got a shiver. So first of all, uh, this movie came out in 1994, uh, directed by Russell Mulcahy, who did, you know, a lot of sci-fi genre movies. Uh, he did Highlander, Highlander Two. Uh, he did. He did uh, Resident Evil Extin- Extinction. Ooh. Uh, he. Interestingly oh. enough, he also uh, directed a lot of the, the almost the entire first season of uh, Teen Wolf when it was when they brought the Teen Wolf series to MTV. The MTV mm. one. That all was right. all him. And uh, what I love about the Shadow, I mean, unfortunately, the movie did not make a whole lot of money. It was made for about forty million dollars, which in 1994 is a big budget, and it barely broke even. Like it, it made forty eight million worldwide, and it mm. did and it, only 30, 32 of that was in the states. Yeah, so. but Brian, although we were part of those numbers, right? We saw it in the theater. Aww. Absolutely. and Yeah, which inspired you to buy all of the shadow audio tapes that they had at Barnes & Noble, like of the radio drama. The ones with Orson Welles, yeah. Orson Welles. Well, so here's the thing. The shadow is a character who has actually had several different identities associated right. with him. And uh, the one that the movie is based off of is the the Lamont Cranston version of the Shadow, <laughs> which is funny because it's like, what name are people gonna relate to? Mm-hmm. What are the names of the Lamont Cranston? That yep. sounds like a dude you'd meet at the corner store. <laughs> keep, so keep in mind that the character was created in the '30s, so during the Depression, right? And they wanted the character to sound like he was wealthy. Well, Lamont sounds like a wealthy first name, and Cranston sounds like a rich, well-to-do family. So. Lamont Cranston. Yes, I, think I is... knew a guy in the 30s named Billington Farnsworth. <laughs> oh, Billington, how he used to play jacks behind the soda fountain. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. This movie. This movie is eye candy from start to finish. It is got brilliant production design. It is very much the Art Deco 1930s design to it. Even in its lighting. Of the shots yeah. is very Art Deco with the very extreme contrasts and shadows. It is so, so well done. It's got an amazing cast. You have Alec Baldwin oh, yeah. as Lamont Cranston in The Shadow. Nice. And his voice lends to the character. Like, if they were to cast any other person, it wouldn't have worked because his voice, since you can only hear the shadows for most of the time that you interact with them, you need that kind of grovelly, intense yeah. voice. And he did the cackle amazingly. Ah. So the movie opens with a drug lord being uh, a drug farmer, I should say, a poppy farmer, being drawn into this palace of this drug lord. And you find out, well, you think this is, they said it's Tibet, so you think it's this Tibetan drug lord. No, it's Alec Baldwin, <laughs> dressed like an Asian. and uh, he, With really long, pointy fingernails. Exactly. Uh... Yeah, and like, and like, Characters yeah, so that are you know all how people do are yellow. doing drugs out of their pinky nail. He yeah. was doing drugs out of all of his nails. Yeah, <laughs> and this is one part that they had never just never uh, elaborated upon in the, the radio show. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's this evil drug lord who's become you know, drunk on power, and so he's now taking out other farmers who might be getting in uh, getting in the way of his own success. He basically owns most of the opium trade in Southeast Asia at this Jeez. point. Wow. So a pretty dark beginning to a comic book yeah. themed movie. Uh, so he kills the farmer, and then he pretty much... And he actually ends up killing one of his old friends, too, because he t- takes him hostage. That night, uh, Lamont is, or as he's called as he called at this point, Yinko, uh, is kidnapped and taken to a tolku, a, a Tibetan monk. And basically, the, the monk has these supernatural powers. He can make himself appear in one place and disappear somewhere else. And he can read minds. He can in- make himself much more imposing than he really is. And so basically what the talk has done is he's decided he's going to kidnap this guy who's a tortured soul and redeem him. 
Hmm. And so, and that's in fact what you find out happens. His price for for all the sins he's committed as a drug lord is that he must now go and fight crime um, ah. with what the Toku has taught him. So the Toku teaches him his powers. He teaches him to read men's minds and to be and able to cloud men's minds. Exactly. Ooh. Though the only thing he can't leave behind is his shadow because it's just an illusion that he's not really there. So the light hitting him as a person still reflects. So that's why he still has a shadow, hence the name The Shadow. And uh, so he comes back to New York uh, and gets himself some couple of 45 pistols and uh, starts rocking it. And uh, we see that when, as they're about to murder, uh, these mob guys are about to murder a uh, innocent man who just happened to witness them killing somebody. And just as they're about to throw him off the bridge, and he's got like the cement shoes. It is like, this is not looking good for this guy at all. (laughs) All of a sudden, you start hearing the cackling, and it's this big echoing cackling. It's like, where the hell is this coming from, right? And eventually, the shadow beats the crap out of all these guys because he can't see them. And then you see this very imposing guy in long, no, big, wide-brimmed fedora, long black cloak, and he's got this red scarf over his face. So yeah, may I say, sorry, Brian, I just want to interject for a second. Seeing that movie in the theater was so much of a different experience than watching it at home now because of the surround sound and how they moved his laugh around while the guys oh, were looking so around. Amazing. It scared the yeah. shit out of us in the theater, and it was a PG-13 movie. So if you have the chance to watch this movie with surround sound, like 5.1 or more, please do it. Nice. So anyway, I just wanted to do that just to set the stage for how you meet the Shadow for the first time. Unbelievable. And uh, then you basically find out that Lamont Cranston has now been living as a millionaire in New York City. Uh, oh, how different from every other comic book. Yeah. Wow. Um, he's very... <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting because Bob Kane mentioned when he made Batman, he borrowed a lot of influences yeah. from The Shadow. Cool. Okay. So, so the whole millionaire Oh, that's playboy, right, because The Shadow wasn't a comic book. It was a comic it was strip. A, it was a pulp novel, and it was a comic strip at one point, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, <clears throat> a series of pulp novels. What's really interesting, so you have that set up, and then the villain of the movie is Shiwan Khan, who is supposedly the last descendant of Genghis Khan, who's now decided he's going to finish his great, 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 times a billion, grandfather's <laughs> work and finish conquering the world. And how's he going to do it? He's working on a bomb that no one's ever seen before. It's essentially a nuclear weapon. Uh, yeah, he, and it, who's, whose help does he get to actually make that uh, bomb? Ryan, Reinhardt Ian <laughs> Played by? Played by the brilliant Sir Ian McKellen, yeah. You should have killed me when you had the chance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's this, this physicist who is working on this beryllium sphere that basically to find out it's meant, meant to be... Uh, the beryllium sphere. Yeah, this beryllium sphere. is supposed to be like a source it's of power. It's the sound wow. of the beryllium sphere. Yeah. This That's movie, intimidating all in itself. <laughs> so Shiwan Khan kidnaps uh, Reinhard Lane. And his daughter, Margot, who uh, ends up getting involved with Lamont, um, he finds out that she's also telepathic, but she has no idea that she's telepathic. Who plays Penelope, Penelope Ann Miller. Oh. This movie has such good casting. She was great in that movie. Ian McKellen, nice. his his sneaky psychic. That was before Ian McKellen was a household name, too. Ask pupils what really put him on the map, but this one was yeah. one of his early... And it's funny to think that he, he attained so much acclaim in the American film world at such an older age than most people do. Yeah. yeah. It's true, but the list goes on. There's more people who are, are amazing in this movie. Tim Curry plays the oh, sneaky right. assistant. Nice. Peter Boyle. Father, 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 Peter Boyle plays... Basically, the Alfred of the movie. He plays. Awesome. He plays the Shadow's driver. Um, I think it's his name is Marv. Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters plays his uncle Wainwright. It's unbelievable. 
the the oh, level of Peter talent. Peter Boyle's character movie. is Mo. Oh, Mo, thank you. Yeah. I got I got the first letter right at least. That's <laughs> all right. Um, and basically, the shadow <laughs> makes a rule that you know once he saved your life, you now become one of my agents. Ooh. Which was this whole playing off the whole Dakota ring, and you also have James Hong, who um was from no, he plays the waiter on The Big Bang Theory. Now that's his big. When they go to the Chinese oh, restaurant. Snap. That's right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's the opium farmer who gets murdered in the, the beginning of the movie. Also. Cassandra's dad in Wayne's World 2. <laughs> oh, That's true. And That's he was Jack true. Black's dad in Kung Fu Panda. That's true. The voice like of Jack the Black's best, dad. Like, yep. old dude. And oh my god, balls of fury. <laughs> I hold in my hand this cricket. Who said to take the cricket from my hand? <laughs> Did you kill your lucky cricket? <laughs> it's awesome. Um, I'm not going to. If, if you kept me talking about this, we're going to talk about this the rest of the yeah, episode. So. I get it, man. I want to see Wait, this movie. First, now. Brian, yeah. we cannot talk about this movie without telling our audience. The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. Oh, shit! You know the shadow, too? What's up, son? <laughs> Let's do our secret handshake. <laughs> that's that's the code, the, the spycraft code they give all the agents so they can identify each other. Because the shadow what? sometimes poses as an agent so that he can meet with other oh. agents without giving away his true identity. Uh-huh. Uh, and he also has other you know, agents work with each other. And he's got like connections all over the city. It's really, really cool. Um... I think this movie deserves a remake. If they made this movie today, still, I mean, we're still in the heyday of, like, you can make... Look at the Guardians of the fucking Galaxy movies being made. That's a pretty obscure comic. You could make a Shadow movie now and do it even better than it was done then. I'd yeah, and they've, and they've been trying, and they ha- they've been, they haven't had much success. Case in point, 20 years old, this movie, even though it was this little genre comic book action movie, still holds up. Right on. So I highly recommend it. You can get it on Netflix and watch it if you want to. I'm, I'm still do that. I've heard so much about this movie, and I've never seen it. And like Whoa. I've never felt fully compelled to see it until now. Yeah. What about too. Alec Baldwin? Does Alec Baldwin not make you want to see Alec that movie? Alec Baldwin kind of pisses me off. I... The only thing, the only time that I've truly, what? truly yeah. enjoyed Alec Baldwin, like truly, has been Thirty Rock. Yeah. What about The Departed? Oh well, eh. The Departed. I, the, I mean, yeah, but that's just because that movie as a whole is great, and it wasn't necessarily this him. Is, this is Alec Glenn Baldwin. Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, I've actually never seen that movie. So oh. this is a very different Alec Baldwin. You see, this is him charming. This is him suave, but with the tortured past. Mm-hmm. Like he he acts the crap out of this part, and it was clearly a paycheck movie for him. But nevertheless, like he brought so much to it that um, it feels believable. Like, come over to my house. We'll watch it one night if you really want to go see it. It's so yeah. awesome. Wait, fuck that, Brian. Can we watch it when I'm in town? Because yes. I, I want to watch it. Yes. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Brian, but we're going to have to agree not to do Moriarty Brother commentary over it. Yeah, no. <laughs> while everybody's trying to watch it. We'll kick it. you guys out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Agreed? Agreed. Mobro Digital commentary handshake. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we wear our shadow agent's rings while we're... Dorks. I'm going to be carrying dual silver 1911 pistols the whole time. <laughs> They'll be unloaded. And I will have a red scarf and a big hat. A big, a bl- not just a regular fedora. Not like one of the Eric fedoras. A no, wide like, brim like fedora. A, wow. This like more to make like a salsa dancing hat. <laughs> this, this like makes the Indiana Jones fedora look small. Like this is a big well, ass fedora. It's like fedora. zoot suit style, right? It's, a brand All right, Brian, it's almost a zoot suit I can style. Hear, I can hear the wheel getting restless. Uh-huh. All right, I'm sorry. I went on to for too relevant long. Again. I geeked out for too long. All right, I'll only do one more. I think wheel wheel's getting a little tired too, but you know, I think the wheel's got a few spins left in it. So awesome. All right, I'm gonna hit it up. So wheel, do your thing. All right. Oh, Johnny Swade. Okay. Johnny Swade. Johnny Swade. I never even heard Johnny of this movie. Johnny 
Wait. Yeah, me neither. So you know how I was talking about how um, the thing called Love was River Phoenix's last film? Well, Johnny Swade is most notably Brad Pitt's first starring film. Oh. oh. We're talking so. pre-Cool World then. We're talking the movie right before he did Cool World. But post-Laverne. Well, Thelma uh, and Louise. So, Thank you. This okay. is what <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, that is very different. Yeah. Laverne and Shirley Brad going off the cliff the... in the car. Second to last. That's a shirt. You just did a shirt. <laughs> there we go. All right, so he was the second to last guy to be auditioned in L.A., and he only had two credits on his resume. One was a Canadian TV series he had just finished, and the other was Thelma and Louise. Right, he's, which he's in for like five minutes. Yes, but Thelma and Louise has been cited as his breakout role because every woman in America noticed his six-pack yep. and basically lost their panties for the rest of the 90s. Um, I lost my fucking panties, and I was like a 10-year-old boy at the time. <laughs> He hadn't even switched on internally yet. You know? uh-huh. No, I hadn't, but my panties fell off, and I was like, what's happening? What's happening <laughs> to me? <laughs> well, I definitely lost my panties for Brad Pitt for a while. There, My screen name in uh, middle school was I Love Brad Pitt 624. <laughs> of course. Of are you, course. Are you being real right now? I'm oh being God. fucking real, man. It's so real. My, my AOL handle That's back then was own. Jim Carrey's dong in my mouth, please, 83. Too uh, long, man. Oh, that's what Sean I'm said. I'm kidding. Jesus. Okay, back to Johnny Swain. <laughs> it's a 1991 I film done by Tom DeSillo. It was Tom DeSillo's first film. He's also known for um, directing afterward a film called uh, Living in Oblivion with uh, Steve Buscemi and Catherine Keener. Um, so Tom DeSillo is an independent filmmaker was inspired by Rockabilly and basically started writing monologues about a character. Mm. And this character was kind of reflecting Tom DeSillo's own life and his own obsession with Rockabilly. And out of those monologues, he made a one-man show. Out of that one-man show, he wrote a screenplay. And the screenplay was for Johnny Swade. So Tom DeSillo films it in 30 days in Brooklyn and uh, brings Brad Pitt in. He wasn't so sure about Brad Pitt. And at the, actually, the sad part is, is that after the film was done, he really didn't like Brad's performance. Um, he cited as saying that Brad kind of made the character look slow and stupid rather than just childish. Um, because if you watch the, the film, you'll see the character of Johnny Swade is really kind of a douchebag. Mm. Um, he's not a savant as much as he is just really clueless. And the way that he goes about his business um, day to day, he wants to be a rock star. He wants to, you know, model after his... Who's the guy that he wants to be? He really loves uh, Ricky Nelson. So Ricky Nelson was, I guess, you know, this famous rockabilly uh, musician. And so what Johnny does is this character trademark is his hair. Brad Pitt's hair is styled in this giant fucking pompadour, humongous pompadour. The oh, size which of this carried thing? over, yeah, which carried over to Cool World. Oh my god, it's huge! <laughs> it's massive. It's like probably like a solid three or four inches tall. Oh my like god! Like if there, like if there yeah. possibly were lice in his hair, they'd have giant fifties <sighs> longboards. There are oh, still yeah. civilizations. You know what they say about <laughs> big pompadours? Totally. <laughs> And the sad thing is about that pompadour is it has a life of its own. So, like, throughout the progression of the film, it slowly but surely starts to get, like, 
more messy and like <laughs> fucked with. Wow. <laughs> so by the end of the movie, it's completely flattened and just like dead. Oh. And the character of Johnny Swain is completely defeated and totally depressed and like. So really, his manhood is yeah. in his hair. Oh yeah, it's no. like sim- it's symbolism. You got your phallic <laughs> symbol, honey. Oh my god, <laughs> symbology there. The symbology. Very symbolic. Yeah, I exactly. think you mean the symbolism. Whatever. What's the symbol? <laughs> anyway, so the cool thing about this film also is is Catherine, um, is it Keener? Or, yeah, it's Keener. Um, it's not Kinnear because that's Greg Kinnear. Anyway, it's Catherine Keener's first starring role, and she was actually nominated for an Independent Spirit Award because of this film. Um, so it was the start of her career. And uh, the chemistry between her and Brad is really palpable. I loved the two of them together because she kind of plays the older, smarter, and um, just better counterpart to Johnny Swade's just idiotic, you know, machismo, big-haired dummy. Like, (laughs) the chemistry between them really saved this film. Sam Jackson's in this movie? Oh, yes, he is. I swear to God, Sam Jackson has a cameo as one of the band members in Johnny Swade's little band. This is Catherine Keener before she broke out with being John Malkovich. Yes. This is... Sam Jackson before Pulp Fiction and uh, the other movie that John Singleton did. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Either way, this is before a lot of their careers. Boys in the Hood. Was it Boys in the Hood? Okay, thank you. So, in other words, this has a lot of movies, a lot of... Movie stars about to break into the big underrated, so it's even better that it's an underrated movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was critically panned because I'd say it's a very odd film overall. The pacing of it is very odd. The uh, film quality is pretty low. I mean... Brad, he's a great actor now, but he did not start out that way. <laughs> sure. You can tell that he's just... I've I seen mean, it in his earlier movies, too. Yeah. He progressively got better. Yeah, he had to, you As know? I mean, Although the Pompadour didn't make an appearance again after Cool World until uh, Killing Them Softly, where he, nice. his Pompadour returns. He brought it back. That's right. Good. That's kind of like a throwback then. Good for him. Um, you know, you want to kind of say what's up to your early days right so this is definitely the beginning of brad's career and uh what a start i mean he really carries the film but it's just a strange movie Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) that's really all you can say about it that would just kind of be like i watched it the other day and i'm just like damn this is fucking weird like a lot of it's it's very just obviously an art house film okay you know you think of it that way you got to think of it in the terms of it's totally independent shoestring budget the biggest probably budget they spent was probably on brad's hair products i sure. mean like let's be honest here um there's a lot of cool dream sequences that are kind of spliced in throughout the film that i thought were really well done so overall pretty sweet movie okay mm-hmm. cool who wants to take the next one i think the wheel is giving me the sign it's only got one more spin only left. one more left okay all right, right so i'm gonna take it wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa. Wait, wait. Wheel. you had several spins left the other night and i don't understand why you're, you're stamina is down right now it's okay will it's okay will you can do it i believe in it's you it's printing out saying yeah but i was high oh. so oh. wow well wow. so was i this so is... take nice. that wheel i don't even remember he anything. doesn't even have an orifice where he could I don't, ingest drugs i don't I, I understand how this is working he could have just hotboxed the cave i guess well I that's the thing it doesn't have an orifice but when it showed up in my room it had duct taped pieces of cold chopped oh liver to itself to simulate an orifice. No. And I, I did the job. No. <laughs> that is. Oh All my right, God. Let's get to All it. right, wheel. Please, God, ignore Sean's comments and just go. <laughs> don't you ignore me. And wheel. it's you have a spinning. Thing, wheel. Oh, God, it's spinning. And don't die. It's spinning so hard. All right. And we got it. 
Rain over me. Oh. Okay. Rain spelled R A I N or R E I G N. G N. <gasps> oh shit! I've never seen it. Then I've seen the Rain Over Me. That was a documentary about rainfall in the Amazon rainforest. Liar. Huh. That's <laughs> not. A, I know. That's not I just, true. I, That's I'm not true Sean at all. Moriarty and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this movie came out in 2007, starring um, Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle. Adam Sandler in a dramatic role. Um, and this is post Punch Drunk Love and Spanglish. So he's kind of already dabbled in what we could arguably call higher caliber movies. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And it's uh, written and directed by Mike Bender, who um, he's done a couple of other things. Um, he did Blank Man. Blank Man. Yeah, he <laughs> oh, direct- shit. He directed Blank Man. He's a crime fighter. Yeah, I love Blank Man. Yeah, he was my a therapist. Ass, that he always <laughs> he always casts himself in movies. Yeah, so he played the therapist in Blank Man. Right, right, right. <laughs> and he uh, he also um, wrote and directed The Upside of Anger in two thousand five. Another good movie too. Uh, Sex Monster, Man About Town. Um, those are some of his more notable movies. But I think the reason why this I don't know why this movie was so underrated because it's really damn good and i'm not somebody who actually like actively goes out and buys dramas for my personal movie collection no okay. i usually kind of i i usually just stick to like comedies musicals and that kind of thing yeah that's, me too and i also have like a lot of action movies too but sometimes it's hard for me to get to that point where i'm like i want to rewatch a drama yeah sometimes mm. i feel like when i'm watching a, a drama i've absorbed it so much that i'm like okay i'm good and i'll watch it again if it's on tv or oh TV. yeah i mean well, it's intellectually okay. so you're saying totally. it has such an effect on you that yeah. you're like this i don't one- know if I need that movie to manipulate me. Heavy, right, yeah. right. So this one, when I saw it sitting like on the DVD shelf in Target, I was like, yes, please. Thank Aww. you. Because it was such a good movie. Um, it does a really good job of mixing the lighthearted humor part of this male friendship with the intense drama of the fact that Adam Sandler lost his whole family. His character lost his whole family in 9-11. Yeah. Um, his wife yeah. and his three daughters were on a plane that crashed into the towers. And it's really heavily scarring. His character, um, Charlie, was a successful dentist and it is now glued to his headset in order to drown out the world and everything else just listening to music all the time. The music plays a really and the music good plays role. a huge role. Um, a lot of uh, the Who, obviously by the <laughs> the title, yeah. Um, but also a lot of Springsteen and um, just really really good things. And every single song that's played in the background is either um, mentioned by Adam Sandler, uh, Adam Sandler's character, or it's playing from oh, his iPod. Nice. Yeah. Man, I, this is a movie that is I have never seen, but I was always really interested in it, and it kind of just fell by the wayside. That's that's why and I feel like it's really underrated. Because that's what I'm saying. You have inspired me, and I hope you've inspired our listeners to actually go and watch this yeah. movie if we haven't seen it. It's yeah. really really good. It also has um, Jada Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler, who plays a therapist. Jada Pinkett Smith, who plays John Tootle's wife, yeah. and uh, Donald Sutherland plays the judge. Mm. And uh, the idea is that. Don Cheadle's character, um, Alan, Alan and Charlie, used to be college roommates for like two years. And then they kind of just, their friendship just kind of separated or whatever. And then Alan finds Charlie again on the street, again, post 9-11, a little destroyed. Um, and they sort of rekindle their friendship. Oh, yeah. yeah. From the, what I saw I, in the trailer, he was like No, he's wrecked. And, no, no, he's not homeless, yeah. but he's wrecked. He's not. Oh, okay. No, he's not he homeless. long, but, scraggly hair. Yeah, he doesn't much, take care of himself. Yeah. He's like, basically, Charlie's completely forgone his career as a dentist. He's playing in a punk band, <laughs> and he's just 
playing video games all the time. And any single time you try to talk to him about anything real regarding his wife and his daughters, then he just will have a fucking mental breakdown. Basically, and he gets really wow. paranoid. He's clinically dissociated. Yes. And he's majorly depressed. Yeah. And it's it's really bad to the point that they do get the therapist and they're talking about committing him against his will. So, yeah. 5150 mm. kind of yeah. deal. Don Cheadle also at the same time is going through kind of a midlife crisis thing with his family. He's kind of dealing with a lot of pressure there. And so he's able to get sucked into Adam Sandler's world and become a, kind of like a kid again. But at the same time, he needs to, you know, take responsibility for his family as well as his friends. So yeah. it's a lot yeah. of really complex friendship happening there, which is very interesting, very sentimental, but also has a lot of good heart to it. Totally. And Adam Sandler's performance is ridiculous. <laughs> the funny thing is, is when Mike Bender wrote this movie, he originally wrote Adam Sandler's character for Tom Cruise. That's crazy. Really? Wow. And John Don Cheadle's part was originally supposed to be played by Javier Bardem. I could Weird. see that. I yeah. could see that. In fact, um, when Tom Cruise said he didn't want to do it, Bardem is the one who suggested Adam Sandler. Wow. And Adam Sandler um, read the script once, said, I don't know if I could pull this off. Oh. And then he read it a second time and said, okay, I want to do it. And he's like, you know, ready to challenge himself for it. And then um, Bardem yeah. dropped out right before Cheadle took over. And also, um, Jennifer Gardner originally had the role for that Liv Tyler ended up playing. Ah. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy because I know Adam Sandler is a good dramatic actor and he can do that. It's right. just like since this movie, all he's picked are these slapsticky comedies that he has, you know, helped produce with Happy Madison. Right. And I want to see him try something like this again because Spanglish even yeah. was like half comedy, half drama. Well, and I think Spanglish I, and, and Punch Drunk Love are probably his Punch Drunk Love films. had comedic parts, but it was yeah. very dark. Yeah. He yeah. was really good in that dramatically. So he has those two films as his dramatic credibility right there. Up to, up to this point, yeah, I would yeah. say Funny People has its... Str- I mean, it, that movie is definitely more geared as a comedy, but Funny People definitely uh, has... Funny People is surprisingly I, dramatic. I got loved, problems with Funny People. I loved Funny People yeah. because uh, of the fact that I loved the dramatic elements sure. and the fact that I the thought... The movie doesn't really have a resolution or an end at it all. It doesn't, but That's, it has it's a op- very good... Who cares if it's open-ended? It's very well it's character It's not really driven. open-ended. It's like, as an audience member, I got very... I'll give you this. Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler got me really invested in their stories with everything. Yeah. Sure. From the point... from Spoilers. From the point that Adam Sandler finds out that he doesn't really have cancer yeah and it goes on from there it slowly loses me and then to have no real resolution i felt like i was just kind of i was on this course i was going through on this boat the captain jumped off and i was just set adrift as the only passenger and i was like what's what's happening okay (laughs) so but that's a problem more with the story and not with the performance right no, no, yeah, I agree that the performance was worth okay, and that's outstanding. all we and need? that's and yeah. that's what I think is the, is the takeaway from this. I'm Sean Moriarty, and I apologize. No, you don't have to apologize <laughs> for that. <laughs> you don't have to apologize at all. But that's the takeaway: is that Adam Sandler does really fucking good job. So why the hell is he doing Grown Ups One and Two? And mm-hmm. I pronounce you Chuck and Larry. <laughs> why is this happening when he really should be playing more of these dramatic roles? And I will admit that the dramatic roles all tend to be a guy who's a little bit more on the bumbling side. Yeah. And maybe a little bit more empty headed, but it's still extremely valuable to a lot of really good dramatic stories out there. Uh, oh, yeah, Adam Sandler true. strikes me as the kind of guy who enjoys more being funny with his friends and the occasional yes, I'll I'll do acting as right. well. I feel like all of his Happy Man Madison movies are exactly that. You notice how when he works with somebody the first time, 
they're now in the, like the next five films. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure. It does. Yeah. He just, I think he's a guy who he's now been able to professionally have fun. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Which many people go their whole lives not being able to to do. So more power to him. I feel like we've mentioned this before, but I feel like the, yeah, there are a lot of dramatic actors who can do comedy on their off time and vice versa. It's like John so, Hamm. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I just. It would be nice to see Adam Sandler do these roles again, but I think that's part of the reason also, like, again, underrated. So I think because this one wasn't as critically acclaimed as it could have been, and because Funny People, which, again, had more seriousness to it, wasn't as as critically acclaimed as it could have been, that that's maybe another re- yeah. another motivation for Adam Sandler not to keep doing these and, things. Yeah, and yeah. we could have talked about Punch Drunk Love tonight, too, because yeah. that's an extremely underrated movie. Absolutely. When I tell people about Punch Drunk Love, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And even if I say Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, and they, yeah. they still don't know, so even all if they're of fans of him. Dramatic yeah. films are underrated, yeah. and that's too bad because he could still do a lot of good work. But right. the motivation isn't there, it seems like. Yeah. The, wheel, the wheel seems to have crawled away to wherever it lives at this point. Scampered off. Is there a trail? A little bit. Of semen. A little bit. Of semen and blood. (laughs) Wow. Follow the trail like it's candy. (laughs) Ooh, piece of candy. It fucked off, so now we're here. Right. Shall we go uh, on to uh, feedback? Do me a favor. Put a post-it note on the other side of the door that says, Wheel, if you've come back, Sean still wants you to call. I miss you. Thank I didn't. You. I didn't mean what I said, baby. I didn't mean it. Please, she, baby, baby, please. Please, <laughs> baby, baby, please, baby, baby, please. We've got a lot of feedback, guys. So, Sean, cue the motherfucking listener feedback song. Mm. Listener feedback. Yeah. Oh damn. <clears throat> oh shit. Uh, oh damn. All right. So, first piece of feedback we have is a second piece of feedback from one of our listeners named Andy. And uh, she says in her subject, second commentary this week, a.k.a. the results of binge listening at work and breaks. (laughs) You know what? That actually means a lot to us that you're binge listening to us. You have to really like something to listen to it like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Good on you, Andy. Her message says, dear nerds, particularly the Moriarty brothers. Ooh. Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) I am currently listening to a bit more socially responsible Nerds on History episode. During the introduction to the episode, I do have to admit to nearly jumping out of slash falling out of my chair when Brian mentioned that Sean lives in Durango, Colorado. Although it really shouldn't shock me as much as it often does, since moving to Memphis, I've been having to explain and explain and explain where Durango is located when asked, where are you from? Needless to say, the fact that my hometown is involved even slightly in something as awesome as Nerds on History, haven't quite gotten to Nerds on Film yet. <gasps> oh, wait a second. Never mind. Andy, you're dead to me, Andy. <laughs> Fuck you. You're dead. All right, just kidding, Andy. We love you. Going on. Makes me happy. It also means that Durango has an export other than the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. If you guys didn't know, the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory started in Durango. They're wow. a cool chocolate store. Cool. And they're amazing. And so, it's so good. It's By the way, I want to say to all you C's candy slash Godiva people... Your shit is weak. Oh, Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, son. But what about Ghirardelli? Or daughter? Yeah, uh, San nah, Francisco. Nah, nah, son. Nah, son. Fine. Uh, I don't believe you. I I've had Ghirardelli myself. You have to go go to a Rocky Mountain Chocolate. I've factory. had it. No, no, no. You haven't had it. Go go look at their <laughs> go to apple Durango. Selection. Go look at their candy apple selection. Okay, all right, all right. We will. We'll there's a, there's candy apples covered in crushed up Oreos and gummy worms. Oh, for okay. oh my god! Okay. I think I just peed a little. Oh yeah, my god. that's just that's the Ooh. tip of the fucking iceberg. By the way, Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. If you'd like to give us some money for fucking right? blowing you on our <laughs> podcast, 
<laughs> You're welcome. You're I welcome. feel so and sad. I'm about Sean it. Moriarty, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. This is an amazing piece of feedback that I'm afraid Andy's not going to hear for like months because she is only listening to NOH. I know, I know, oh, I know. She'll so, get there. A bit more socially responsible wasn't yeah, that long anyway, ago. Anyway, she says the next export that needs to get here is the beer, and I'm hoping. I, does she know I work at Steamworks? Does she know I'm part of the beer crowd? I obviously she loves the beer. Anyway, Andy, listen to Nerds on Film more, please. It's way funnier. She's, <laughs> and she signs it, Andy Exiled Durangatang. I love that. That's yes. a really good one. Mm-hmm. Love that. And the next piece of feedback comes from Hillary. And it says, guys, thank you so much for this episode of the latest NOF episode, um, I guess, which was last week's. I was geeking out right along with you, Sarah and Roxy about Wes Anderson movies. And I can't wait for Grand Budapest Hotel. Neither can we. It opens this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be so awesome. So good. <laughs> By the way, Roxy, welcome to the podcast. Hey! <laughs> Since I sincerely enjoy everything that you have brought to the podcast thus far. Aww. Whenever I desperately need a laugh, I venture into the backlog of NOF. And I was going to make espresso was the one that I go to the most often. <laughs> Frankenstein! <laughs> Frankenstein. Oh, my God. That is probably our second most popular episode after I, the iTunes store does not lie. Nice. To Blave is the most popular wow. episode that, was that we had. That a good one. Wow. Pounded. That one was just Sarah and Brian talking about The Princess Bride, and that's the only one I've listened to three times. Wow. Nice. So I listened to it while I edited it, I listened to it afterwards, and I have listened to it again. Aw. Wow. Well, I Want to Make Espresso was my first podcast with you guys That was a ever, good one. So. I liked it. Thanks. Um, anyways... Think? The main reason I'm writing is that I want uh, I want to thank you for the discussion towards the end of the episode about that expired jar of mayonnaise. I can't take credit for thinking <laughs> up that insult, but it's a beautiful one. Nice. Uh, who wants mediocre indie filmmakers to stop making films? This is an issue that frustrates me to no end, and I praise you for the way you tore that tore that carcass fit for a hound's argument. Wow. Um, like we said, Kentucker. Go fuck yourself. There we go. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, if anybody wants to hit this guy up on Twitter, his handle is at Kentucker, K-E-N-T-U-C-K-E-R-A-U-D-L-E-Y, at Kentucker Oddly. Tell this dude that he is a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tell this dude <laughs> that when you take a shit, you look in the toilet before you flush it, and in your head you say, Kentucker. And then flush. Nice. <laughs> Poetic. Wow. Anyway, wow. To, wrap up, to wrap up the feedback, I, ser- <laughs> I sincerely enjoy each and every episode and often listen to them multiple times. Same with NOH. You never fail to cheer me up and teach me something at the same time. I often have the same problem other listeners have about laughing in the middle of work and coworkers thinking you're crazy. <laughs> if you ever set up a P.O. box, I will gladly send you cookies. <gasps> Ooh. Guys, we need a P.O. box! We need cookies! <laughs> Jesus, Roxy. We need a P.O. box! That was me. That was me. Sean, that was me. Was that Sarah? That was me. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I, I couldn't tell. I just with... heard like, <laughs> We love cookies, okay? Uh, much nerd love, Hillary. I fucking love them, too. <laughs> I love you, Hillary. You're the greatest thing since cookies. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're the greatest, you're the greatest thing since cookies. Since cookies. That's all I've got to say about that. I think that should be the episode title, The Greatest Thing Since Cookies. Nice. Okay. Um, I have another feedback. Um, this is from Dylan. And it says, uh, Dear Nerds on Film, love the podcast. Great work. Really enjoy everything you do. I would like to ask your opinion on something. Have any of you noticed how women who express any kind of sexual identity in movies are more often than not killed violently? In the last four movies I have watched, there have been female characters who have expressed sexual desires or been overtly sexual or unfaithful and they were all seemingly punished quote unquote by being killed and not just a a normal death but always some Freudian symbolic death like being Mm. crushed by a giant missile yeah. Or impaled on something. I feel it's a shame that uh, that for a female character to be taken seriously in a movie, she has to act like a nun and lack any sense of sexual identity. I have noticed this in more movies than I can even count. Have any of you noticed this too? Yes. I have. Oh my yep. god. Well, yep. especially horror films. Totally. I mean, especially I mentioned 300 films. Eyes of an Empire. Eva uh, Green's character gets mm, horribly mutilated. Has anybody there. seen the new Evil Dead? Uh, yeah. That's an exception. Oh my god. I love that they made the main character... A strong female character. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. In the, yeah, just in the face of addiction and that kind of adversity to end up on top. I think there's also um, exceptions, some exceptions, not to say that this is any better necessarily, but when you look at some action movies where women are more in the role of the seductress. Yeah. Mm. yeah when they're evil, then yeah, they do tend to get punished after that point. But if you yeah. look at like Charlie's Angels... Sure. Yeah. Nobody's really Tia getting career in True Lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, they're not necessarily and then even Jamie Curtis. Point, so <laughs> yeah. again, who yeah. has to do a yeah. sexy dance? <laughs> right. So there are still some exceptions, but yeah, more often than not, it's it's the uh, Madonna whore complex exactly, no. and it's all throughout art, any type of art. Yeah. So, yeah. so good question, Dylan. That can be a whole episode onto itself, mm-hmm. and uh. you know that Roxy and I would be. On that. Uh, We're going to be making that shit happen. Yes. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And, of course, uh, continuing the conversation, we'd love to hear your favorite underrated movie. And you can do that by going to our social media uh, at Nerdonomy. Social media? (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Uh, For both both Facebook (laughs) and for Twitter. Uh, And, of course, hit us up on our personal Twitter accounts. Uh, I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16. That's S A R A H. And I'm at Roxy Noberry, and that's with an I on both the Roxy and Noberry. I am at Big Sean Mo. Sean spelled S E A N. Give us a review if you like our show on uh, the iTunes Store and as well as several other places. And if you can also afford to, perhaps a little donation. You know, we're uh, we're. Money, we, money, 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 money. We money. got some ads, but you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the most of our support still comes from users like you. So. Uh, if you do have it in your heart and, as we say, in your wallet, please go to Deuteronomy.com. We, yes. Click we are on, waiting for a generous benefactor. Yeah. Click on Sugar that donate Daddy. button. We are still... I will touch your naughty bits. <laughs> we are still one payment away from getting the nerd computer uh, paid off. So um, that would really, really help for sure. Anyway, until next time, stay nerdy and tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Bye. See ya. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say. During sex. And he said, What a black
a man, talk like a man, walk like a man, my son. No woman's worth crawling on the earth, so walk like a man, my son.